Hello, and welcome to another great message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Thanks for joining us today. For notes and video related to this message, please visit www.parkviewchurch.org. Good morning, church family. I always I had to wait for the lights to come on before I greeted you. Um, you look good. It must be all that time out at the pool in the sunshine. Uh, it's good to be with you here this morning, um, and I'm honored uh, to open up God's Word uh, with you today. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is John McHale, and I serve as the community group's pastor and uh, have been tasked with um, leading off a new series. Uh, so I like to think I'm, I'm batting lead off for this series. Um, and because of that, feel a burden to kind of set up uh, this study in the book of First John. First John is a short book, and it's very simple, um, and yet it's very profound um, and very deep in the truth that it represents. Um, I don't want to make any assumptions, um, but this is very characteristic of the, the literature written by the Apostle John. Um, and for those of you who don't know who John is, John was one of the men uh, that Jesus pulled close, and Jesus trained and discipled. And even within his 12 disciples, John was someone that he pulled really, really close. Um, and so he is someone who can speak with an authority on the truths of Jesus um, because he lived with him. Um, he saw him do ministry. He witnessed the cross and the resurrection. Um, and so he's written a number of books in our book, the Bible, um, the New Testament. Uh, and one he's probably most famous for is his biography of Jesus. We call it the Gospel of John. Um, but then he's also written some shorter letters, um, one of which is 1 John, then there's also 2 John and 3 John. And these are letters that he wrote to churches that he had done ministry in. And we'll see some of the context of the book of 1 John. What is happening is there were these false teachers that crept up within this church, and John is writing back to them as an authority, as someone who can speak to Jesus, and he's confronting some of the lies that had crept up. John also wrote the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation, uh, which has got some pretty crazy stuff in it, um, but it's a lot of symbolism to uh, point us to the return of Jesus when he will come back and set up his kingdom and a new heavens and a new earth. Um, and so that's kind of the basics of um, John and his writings. Um, but if I could just share a few thoughts to frame up our series here, um, share maybe some themes that we're going to see in the book, uh, and then also our prayer and our hope as pastors as we um, study God's Word and try and apply it to our lives and apply it um, to this church. So in the book of 1 John, um, we are going to see three things, uh, and they're the three Bs, belief, uh, behavior, and belonging. So as God's family we are encouraged by 1 John to believe rightly about Jesus. And like I said, John is confronting these false teachings that had crept up about who Jesus was, who he is, uh, and what his truth represents in our lives. Um, and John is correcting that and giving us right beliefs. Then uh, we're going to be encouraged towards right behavior, behavior that aligns up with the beliefs that we have of Jesus. And it's behavior that reflects our relationship to Jesus. And then thirdly is belonging. 
we as God's family are going to be encouraged to belong to one another in love. This is the vision of the New Testament for the local church, that we would grow together as a family and learn what it looks like to love one another. And it's not the squishy kind of emotionally driven love that our society is obsessed with. It's a sacrificial love. It's a self-denying love. It's an other-centered love. And it's a love that has been shown to us by Jesus. And so our hope and our prayer in this series is that we would begin to fight for unity around these things, for right beliefs about who Jesus is, and that we would challenge one another to live out those beliefs and to walk in holiness and righteousness, to walk believing the gospel, and then that we would fight as a family to love one another, praying that we would learn what it looks like to die to preference, to die to our needs for the sake of one another. Uh, it's a beautiful vision that we see in First John. So let's dive in. How about it? Sounds like a good idea. Turn to First John 1. Um, or... I guess the, the running preacher's joke is scroll to 1 John 1. Uh, I think you have it in your bulletin too, so we got our bases covered here. Get your hands on the text. And if I could ask us to stand as we read God's word. Starting in verse 1, we're going to read through verse 2 of chapter 2. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was from the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You can go ahead and take a seat. Let me pray for us. 
Father, uh, we pause uh, and acknowledge your presence here in this room. Uh, you are here uh, in your word um, and by the presence of your Holy Spirit. Uh, we come before your word and ask that you would nourish our hearts with truth. I pray that you would confront us with our sin and shine a spotlight on Jesus and point us to him, that we would behold him, believe him, trust him, and find freedom in the light. And so we ask for this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, as we study this passage this morning, we're going to see three things. The proclamation of light, the path of light, and the provider of the light. And so, the proclamation of light, let's start there. As John begins his letter, in the first four verses, he's establishing his authority. That's why he uses language like things we have seen with our own eyes, things we have heard with our own ears, things we have touched with our hands. John is establishing his authority by the fact that he was one that walked with Jesus. He saw Jesus heal people. He heard Jesus preach. He saw him step down and wash feet and love on people. And this sets John up as an authority to speak to the truths of Jesus. And so he's saying these false teachers, they don't have that kind of authority. You can trust me because I was with Jesus. I walked with him. I heard the words from his lips. And he sets up this platform, establishing his authority, and he proclaims to us that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. That's the proclamation of light. And it's an explicit description of God's nature. God in all of his being, in all of his essence, is light. And in him is no darkness at all. This is not new language for John. If we look at the biography he wrote of Jesus, known as the Gospel of John, we see this imagery all over the place. He loves the light-darkness imagery. And typically, when John uses it, he's referring to the distinction between life and death. So in many ways, John is saying, God is life, and in him is no darkness at all. There's no death at all, excuse me. That's, That's basically what John is saying. Now, it's sometimes hard for modern people uh, to see this vividly when we hear that light-darkness imagery. Um, we, we live in a world where electricity is at our fingertips. Um, we got all our gadgets. Um, I can pull out my smartphone and got a flashlight right away, right? But the ancient world, um, they oriented all of life around light. The natural world needs light to survive. I was thinking of this um, this week. I have some plants in my office, and my office has no windows. um, So you can imagine the plants um, are not feeling too happy. 
Um, and so every few days, I have to take the plants and go out in the hallway and put them up on a window. There's a little ledge by a window, and I think they're sitting there right now. Um, because the plants, they need light to live. If they didn't have light, they would shrivel up and die. And I, I think if you inspected my plants, there are little areas that are, are dying and shriveling up. Um, because I think the plants probably would prefer to stay in the light all the time, but I like little green plants in my office, so um, I enjoy them. Uh, this, this is a bold claim that John is making. And it's important that we don't just kind of skip over it, but we really sit in the reality of what he is proclaiming here. John is basically saying that life True, authentic, pure and holy life, abundant life, living life, a life that is flourishing and growing, is sourced in the person of God himself, that every human being needs to be connected to God in order to enjoy abundant life. God is by nature essential for life to flourish. And we see this in the history of the church, that wherever the gospel penetrates into a society, wherever a church is planted, wherever the name of Jesus is spoken, all of a sudden darkness begins to be pushed back. And the light of Christ grips men and women's hearts and they begin to be living life differently. They begin to be loving their kids well. They begin to be functioning on behalf of society for the good of human flourishing. And so that's, that's the proclamation that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And John props this up and then he makes some implications. And he says, if, if this is true up here, if God is light, then this is also true. And these truths are confronting some of these lies that had crept up in the church. And there's two lies um, that he identifies and confronts. Um, and I think as we look at these lives, we'll see that they're alive today in our churches um, and in um, our day. The first lie is the double life lie. Um, that's my words. You won't find that in the passage. Um, the double life lie. And the double life lie is the person that says they believe in Jesus. They have fellowship with Jesus, but their life has no fruit. Nothing in their life um, points to that profession. This is the person that um, says, yeah, yeah, I know Jesus. I believe in Jesus. Jesus, me and Jesus are homeboys. We go way back. But, but nothing about their life um, would point to that association with Jesus. And this is, this is so prevalent in our day. And this is something that we need to look at in our own lives. Is there fruit of my profession of faith in Jesus? And there is a difference between, um, between no fruit and a little fruit. And I would encourage us to have those conversations with people. But see what John is saying. The truth is that if you are, you are having fellowship with light, 
if you are connected to the light of Christ, darkness is going to be pushed out. That's just the nature of the way light works. They cannot coexist. So to truly know Jesus and experience fellowship with him is going to to push out darkness in our lives. That's the first lie. The second lie is the good person lie. And we see this in verses 8 and verse 10. John says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And in verse 10, he says, If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. The good person lie denies the reality of sin. And John is obviously, in this passage, he's confronting people that were making public statements of sinlessness, public statements of perfection. But I think if we dig deeper into our family, our community, I think we fall prey to this lie when we minimize sin, uh, when we cuddle sin, when we say, it's really not that bad. Everyone else is doing it. Or sometimes we acknowledge it and say, yeah, that's, that's bad, that's sinful. But they did this, and that caused me to do it. And we, we blame. We start shifting the blame. It's very, very easy to play the Jesus game, especially in these subcultures that we set up in the Christian world, in our country. It's very, very easy to put on the happy face, to come on Sundays, and to, um, to crank that Christian radio, but there's no honest assessment. There's no digging into the darkness that is present in our own hearts. There's a musician uh, that I like. His name is Sufjan Stevens. Uh, kind of a different name. Uh, but he is a Christian. Um, probably wouldn't be known as a Christian artist per se. Um, he doesn't he, ha- he doesn't really sound like Hillsong at all. He's got kind of a unique sound. Um, and he wrote a song about a very, very dark person, uh, a serial killer that is well-known, uh, and it's a lament. It's, it's kind of a, it's a dark, sad song, but it's a lament over this man's life and the darkness in his life and then also the darkness of his crimes. And at the end of the song, Sufjan makes a shocking confession. It grips me every time I listen to it. He says, And in my best behavior, I'm really just like him. Look beneath the floorboards at the secrets I have hid. And what? How, how can you identify with a serial killer? That's, that's the question that bubbles up in our hearts. That, what? But Sufyan knows that there is the same darkness in his heart 
And it might not express itself in some of the evil darkness of this person's story. But the same essence of that darkness is in his heart. He knows the depths of his own depravity. The bad news of the gospel is that our heart is predisposed to sin. On default mode, we don't, we don't drift towards holiness. We don't drift towards love. We drift towards rebellion. We drift towards selfishness. We drift towards blaming others. That is the pathology of sin in creation. What does Eve do when God confronts, or what does Adam do when God confronts him? He says, look, at you gave me that woman. But the light exposes darkness. And if God is the greatest of all lights, he will expose the darkness in our hearts, even when we try and stuff it in the basement. We try and pull up the floorboards and stuff it down there and lay a nice layer of hardwood and say, look, it's all good. The light of God exposes the darkness. So what are we going to do? John shows us in this passage, and that brings us to the, the path of light. John invites us to step into the light and to walk in the light by confessing our sins and beholding Jesus. That's how we walk on the path of light. The good news of 1 John 1 is that God has provided a way into the light through the person and work of Jesus Christ, where our darkness can be cleansed and purified, and we can enjoy fellowship with God, who in all of his essence is life. And so two ways to walk in the light. First one is confession of sin. Happy topic, and I know everyone woke up this morning and wanted to talk about confessing sin. A little sarcasm right there. But I think, I think we have some strong misconceptions about this idea. And I've actually just spent a season of studying confessing sin uh, for something that we're launching in community groups and that I'll talk about in a little bit. But I think there's three spheres uh, of confessing sin in the life of a disciple of Jesus. The first one is confession of sin to God. And this happens personally in prayer, um, in our time when we are connecting and ha- having fellowship with God, is that confession. And that's, that's primary. That's where it needs to be happening. Um, there's two other places. Confession of sin when we have wronged someone. So if you have sinned against someone, the Bible is going to call you to confess that sin to that person and ask for their forgiveness. And this is part of this, this bringing us together into fellowship with one another. But then a third place is confessing our sins to one another. In John's imagery, I love, I love looking at this passage because he shows us that confession of sin is putting sin into the light, is exposing it for what it is and owning it before God and others. And this is going to have a deadly effect on the power of sin in your life. There's an old uh, group of Christians, uh, they're 
known as the Puritans, super godly, spiritual people. Um, don't love everything they did, but um, they, they have a really helpful word when we talk about confessing sin, um, and it's called mortification, uh, to mortify your sin. And it literally may, means to put sin to death, to kill sin with the help of the Spirit, to commit yourself to the habitual killing of your sin with the power of Jesus and his Spirit. And the question we have to ask this morning is, are you attacking your sin with that kind of violence? Are you murdering your sin? Are you digging in and pulling out the darkness that is in your heart and exposing it in the light? One of the prayers God loves to answer is when his children come before him and ask him to show them their sin. It, it's a little uncomfortable, I will tell you. Um, and sometimes when I pray, I'm like, ah. But he will give you a target to run after. He will give you darkness to slay. God is jealous that we would be a people that puts sin to death. And this is one of the reasons why we encourage everyone uh, to join a community group. Uh, you knew it was coming up, right? I'm the community group's guy. Come on. Um, but a community group is a team of people that are going to help you fight sin, to help you put sin in the light. We're not intended to do this on our own. We need one another to ask questions, to dig in, and to press in. And so we just launched in community groups a new part of the, the meeting uh, called formation groups. And these are small gender-specific groups within the bigger group of a community group for the sole purpose of exposing sin in our hearts and pointing one another to the hope of Jesus and the healing power of the gospel. And we even created a, a cool chart uh, to help this process. And my wife laminated all of these, um, and she helped me uh, think through language and process. And, um, and I will tell you that I have, um, I have it, this, this experience has been so fruitful for me uh, in my personal growth with Jesus. And so on a regular basis, I gather with the guys in my community group, and we put sin in the light. And they ask questions, and they point me to Jesus. And I can remember um, a few months ago, I uh, was having an issue with one of my neighbors. There's something that he's been supposed to fix. He's been, he should have fixed it probably three years ago. Uh, and he consistently is not fixing it. it. It's really frustrating me. And I identified that there was bitterness and anger coming up in my heart towards my neighbor. And so I brought it to that time and I put it in the light. And a good friend of mine, um, he, he simply asked a question. And he said, what, what if you're idolizing control? And that's it's part of the way the chart, uh, the chart works, is it traces surface-level sins into heart idols to try and help us mortify sin. 
And I took that question, and the, the rest of the week I was processing, thinking, praying, and I was like, he was right. And I experienced this freedom. Because instead of trying to stuff the anger down and to be like, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not bitter. I owned it. And I said, I'm bitter towards my neighbor. I'm angry at him. And it's not the kind of anger that is pleasing to the Lord. But the reason I am is because I'm idolizing control. I want to control this situation. And this group was able to help me identify that and put that sin to death. And so as a Jesus people, we want to grow as people that are putting sin to death. Think about what might happen if a church was so, so focused on killing their sin and putting their sin to light. So that's the first way to walk on the path of light. The second way is beholding Christ. Jesus is the hero of this passage. John, John continually points us to Jesus. The heart, the heart always needs something to adore. The heart needs something to worship. And when you pull sin from the clutches of your heart, the heart is like, what, where do I go? And John says, here, grab onto Christ. Hold on to Christ and cling to him, for he is the path of life. He is the light. That's why we gather every Sunday. That's why we encourage people to community groups, so that we would put sin to death and behold Jesus and cling to Jesus and run to Jesus. He's the hero of our, our whole movement. It's all about Jesus. And what happens is, when we behold Jesus and put sin to death, what begins to happen is we start to become like Jesus. We become like what we worship. The Puritans had another word um, for this idea, uh, and it, it's a pretty cool word, I think. It's called vivification. Say that ten times fast. <laughs> Vivification, and it literally means to make alive, to give life. John Calvin talks about this idea, and he says, they interpreted vivification as a comfort produced by faith. When a person, ashamed by the consciousness of his sin, and struck with the fear of God, when that person cast his eyes on God's goodness and mercy on the grace and salvation which are in Jesus Christ, that person is comforted and they're able to breathe because sin has lost its power and then takes heart again and practically returns from death to life. Tim Keller talks about this as a rediscovery of the gospel, a daily, weekly rediscovery of the gospel when we are refreshed in the grace and mercy of Jesus. And so this is the growth process of walking in the light, confessing our sin and beholding Jesus. And yet, coming into the light, stepping into the light is frightening. It's uncomfortable. 
It's scary. And we tend to work on every other area in our lives and we leave the darkness that lives downstairs, we leave that to itself. And it takes a special courage to go down to the basement and dig up some of that nasty stuff. But maybe you're here this morning and you're like, bro, I filled up the basement years ago. Like, my whole house is filled with darkness. Praise God, there, there is hope for both. For all of us, there is hope in the power of the gospel. But the question that we have to ask as a people of faith, as Parkview Church, is where is the darkness in your heart? Not the darkness, the person sitting next to you, not the darkness of the person that you wanted to come but didn't come. Where's the darkness in your heart? Maybe it's the, the internet sites that you go to when no one's looking. Maybe it's the, uh, the hatred you have for your body that you carry every single day. Maybe it's the bitterness and resentment that you harbor, that you cultivate in your heart towards your boss. I don't, I don't know what the Holy Spirit is pressing on you right now, but God's word is calling us into the light. He's calling us out of hiding. Jesus Christ is the light. Jesus Christ left his throne in heaven and came down to earth and stepped into darkness. Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world, he took on your darkness. The thing that you is, is weighing you down right now, the thing that is convicting and wrecking you, Jesus took that from you. And he bore it on his shoulders. And the Bible talks about how Jesus, the light of the world, becomes darkness himself. The light becomes darkness so that you can enjoy life, so that you can walk in the light and the freedom and the peace and the joy that come with that. So yet, yes, stepping into the light is frightening, but, but God has provided a way through Jesus. You can stand confidently. You can step out into the light because Jesus stepped into darkness for you. And he became darkness for you. In the, uh, the late 19th century, there was a Catholic priest named Father Damien. And Father Damien volunteered for a special mission um, to a leprosy community uh, on the Hawaiian Islands. So the Hawaiian government, um, they identified that there was this skin disease ravaging their cities, and they decided to pull out all the people who were infected and set up this island where all of these people were supposed to live and, and supposed to spend their days um, infected with leprosy. And in a lot of ways, the government just kind of put them over there and left them there. But Father Damien volunteered to go and serve these people, to love these people. 
And even though he was encouraged, like, hey, hey, we're really glad that you love these people, but let us make a suggestion. Do it from a distance. Go find a place in the mountains to live, and every once in a while, come and help them out, give them some food, and make sure you cover your face up because we don't want you catching leprosy. But Father Damien didn't, didn't listen. And he went and he lived among the lepers. He stepped into this community, diseased, painful, hurting, dark stuff. Everyone there had leprosy and was on their way to the grave. Death was reigning in that place. And Father Damien stepped in and he did awesome stuff. He set up, he, he helped them build houses. Um, he helped them build schools. And he was, he, what he did was he rallied them to help him. And he brought some kind of light and life to this community. He dignified these people. And for many years, he served these lepers and eventually contracted leprosy himself. And there's a legendary story if you read about Father Damien and his story, um, when he was boiling water and the, he spilled water on himself and it, he couldn't feel it. And he, it was at that moment that he realized that he had become a leper himself. But the interesting thing, in, in all the stories that I read of this, it's like just a footnote. <laughs> he just kept on going. And he lived for another 10, 15 years among these people, loving them. And he eventually died, just like the rest of them. In the same way, Jesus steps into darkness. He steps into it and becomes it himself. But catch this. The power of the gospel, the, the gospel message is that Jesus did more. He became darkness for you, but he also conquered it once for all. He destroyed darkness. The light of the world, he stepped into darkness and pushed back the darkness. We see this in his ministry. He confronted the oppression. He healed disease. And in the same way, by faith, we say that, that God's presence, Jesus' spirit, comes and lives in our hearts. And if the light of the world is living in us, he is pushing back the darkness in our hearts. He is jealous for you to put sin to death, to kill it, to murder it on a daily basis because he has killed its power. It, it no longer has any power to condemn you it no longer has any power to keep you in hiding. Jesus has made a way for us to step out into the light and to enjoy it. And that's why I can stand up here and tell you my sin as a pastor. <laughs> because Jesus is worth it. Jesus is better than holding on to it. He calls us into the light. And so my prayer and my hope for us as the Jesus people to the Iowa City area, to this city as a witness, would we grow as a people that seek to kill sin 
in our midst, in our own hearts? Would we be a people that learn what it looks like to behold Jesus in all of his glory and grow in his likeness? And would we be a people that celebrate Jesus as the hero? Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, yeah, I mean, we marvel at your light. We marvel at all that Jesus has done on, on our behalf. We thank you for your word that you have not left us in darkness, but you have revealed your truth to us in your word. And you promise that your word does not return void, but bears fruit, but grows and nourishes us. So I pray, God, would you press into our hearts this morning? Would you convict of sin? Would you challenge us to be a people that put darkness to death and to slay it with the power of the gospel? We love you and we trust you and we pray that you would bless our time together this morning. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Parkview Church. We pray that you are blessed by God's Word. For additional teaching, resources, podcasts, as well as information on who we are and our upcoming events, please visit our website at www.parkviewchurch.org.